for us to be here at the First Baptist Church of Monterey. For many, many years, I have taught in theological seminaries. And uh, one of the schools I taught at was in Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, I was there for about 13 years, during which time uh, your pastor, Nate, came and studied at that school. And that's where we first got acquainted. Actually, I think his sister, Molly, had come a little bit earlier. And uh, I knew Molly as she was a student there at the seminary, and then later Nate. And uh, it's just been wonderful to see God's hand of blessing upon them, the ministry here at uh, the church. And uh, we're just very, very grateful for that ministry and uh, for the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word that's going on here at this uh, church. Now, we've been looking at the book of Jonah for three sessions prior to this one, and now a fourth one to wrap up our study of the book of Jonah. And uh, Jonah, in some ways, is a pathetic character in the Bible, almost comedic in some ways, laughable, as it were, because Jonah is, on the one hand, a servant of God, a prophet, one to whom God speaks messages and gives instructions. And Jonah, as a servant of God, is supposed to be one who obeys God's commission on his life and does what it is that God tells him to do. But as we have seen, this 8th century prophet, this man Jonah, whose name in Hebrew means dove, his name speaks of gentleness, and yet it turns out he's pretty hawkish in his attitudes. Because when God gives him a commission to go to a distant place, roughly 500 miles off to the east of where he was in Israel, as you know, what he did was catch a boat going in just about the opposite direction, headed for Tarshish, a place we think was in western Spain. And so Jonah is one who is running from God's commission on his life. And God's activity with Jonah is not that different from his activity with us. He arrests us in our disobedience. He interferes with our attempts to get away from him. And uh, so it was with Jonah as God sent this huge storm life-threatening in nature on the Mediterranean Sea, leading the sailors to cast Jonah overboard and expecting that he would die by drowning. Instead, God sends a great fish, you recall, and rescues Jonah. By the way, the fish is not the main point of the book of Jonah. If you mention Jonah, most people immediately think of the big fish. Well, that fish occupies only a couple of verses in the book of Jonah. It's not the main point, and uh, it is, however, God's vehicle of deliverance, salvation, as it were, as the fish rescues Jonah from death by drowning. And so we have God's miraculous intervention in that regard. Now, in chapter 2 of Jonah, we found Jonah 
expressing thanks to God in a very uh, sophisticated poem that we find in verses 2 through 9 of chapter 2. And he uh, sings, as it were, this song of thanksgiving, giving thanks to God for God's deliverance. And then the Lord renews his commission on Jonah's life. And when we find him in chapter 3, the word of the Lord is coming to Jonah a second time, uh, instructing him to go to Nineveh and preach the message that uh, God is giving to those people. This time, somewhat half-heartedly, Jonah obeys. And what does he expect as he preaches this message that God has given to him? He's hoping that God will be true to his word and that in 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Well, we have seen that this word turn or overturn can have multiple meanings. It can be destructive in nature, overturned in the sense of destroyed. That's what Jonah's hoping for. Or turning can have the sense of conversion, turning away from what one was doing and turning to God. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 3. The Ninevites turn to God. Surprisingly, these awful people, guilty of such wicked things, turn in belief to God. They fast, they put on sackcloth, they toss ashes upon themselves from the king to the lowest person. Even the animal life participate in a forced way in this fast and in this act of uh, repentance. And so one of the themes of Jonah, the book of Jonah, is what we see right there in chapter 3, the, the notion that when when, when people repent of their past evil, God is eager to embrace them and to extend forgiveness and grace to them. And in that sense, repentance trumps judgment. God would much rather embrace in love and forgiveness than to exercise harsh judgment. And by the way, uh, even to this very day in Jewish circles, the book of Jonah, with its emphasis on repentance and turning to God, is read every year at Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The book of Jonah for the Jewish community is a wonderful expression of this idea of the need for repentance and turning to God. And so on the Day of Atonement, each year, right up to the present time, the book of Jonah is read publicly as part of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We come now to uh, chapter 4 of Jonah, and this will wrap up our study of this book. And uh, we've backed up to chapter 1 there. Can you get me on over to chapter 4, uh, please? Uh, and uh, in chapter 4, a theme is going to emerge that uh, could be expressed this way. God's servants can be incredibly self-centered. Now, I hate to admit that to you folks. Uh, Nathan's one of the Lord's servants. I'm one of the Lord's servants. Many of you are servants of the Lord. But did you realize that as servants of God, all of us 
have the capacity of turning inward in our service for God and becoming self-centered in terms of what we expect as we go about trying to serve God. Every one of us is susceptible to this, not just people in uh, full-time ministry, but people uh, going about their everyday work and neighborhood lives and so forth, seeking to serve God, but, but always susceptible to this danger of turning inward and making ourselves the center of what it is we expect God to be doing. And so in Jonah 4, we're going to see one of God's servants who should be involved in a ministry of outreach, a ministry of sharing God's love with other people, uh, a ministry of ministering to the needs of people who need not only to turn to God, but then to grow in their faith. And Jonah instead is going to be very, very uh, self-centered. So in verses 1 through 9, or 1 through 8, let's say, we have the first step in this uh, description that we have in chapter 4. Verses 1 through 9, Jonah responds to the Lord's grace and forbearance. Let's read verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. And remember, the context here is about the Ninevites having repented and turned to God. And verse 1 says, But to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a gourd and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the gourd. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the gourd so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the gourd? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Now, what a surprising reaction we have on the part of God's servant. What is it he's so upset about? Why is Jonah, angry. It has something to do with the fact that when he preached the message that God sent him to preach to the Ninevites, they surprisingly responded in faith and believed 
and repented and turned to God. Why would anybody get angry over that? Well, Jonah says, I, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. And he's referring here to a great confession of faith in the Old Testament. What he has in mind in these words is found in Exodus chapter 34. And in that chapter of Exodus, chapter 34, verses 6 through 7, we have this very description of God. This is what God is like. Folks, if you want to know something about what God is like, go to Exodus 34, look at verses 6 and 7. It's a wonderful summary of what God is like. And by the way, let us not think that uh, we have grace only in the New Testament and not in the Old. There is grace in the Old Testament, and we see it here in Exodus 34. What is God like? God is compassionate. What is God like? God is gracious. What is God like? God is slow to anger. What is God like? He is abounding in love and faithfulness. What is God like? He is forgiving of wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now that's what God is like. Why is Jonah upset about that? You know why he's upset? He's upset because in his mind, and according to his way of thinking theologically, there are some people who don't deserve this. And he knew back at the very beginning of chapter 1 that God might be up to something here, that God might be wanting to show to the Ninevites his compassion, his love and forgiveness, and what Jonah wanted them to get was God's judgment and the upturning of their city and the destruction of everything that they knew in their way of life. It is possible for God's servants to think that uh, it's great that God has forgiven me, It might even be great that God has forgiven you, but there are some people that just don't deserve God's forgiveness. And that's the way Jonah's thinking. The Ninevites don't deserve it. Well, wait a minute. Jonah, do you think you deserve it? Aren't you the guy who is running from God in a very deliberate calculated sort of way, actually just rebelling against God, and you deserved God's grace? The great fish that God sent to spare your life, you deserve that? I think not. Jonah did not deserve God's grace. You and I do not deserve God's grace. The Ninevites don't deserve God's grace. Nobody else does either, for that matter. And the marvelous thing about grace that we sang about just a few moments ago is that it's amazing, it's amazing that God extends his grace to the worst of sinners, the vilest of people, and any can come and receive forgiveness, even if their past resume looks like that of a Ninevite, guilty of atrocious and awful things. And so what God in chapter 4 is up to is he's trying to work with Jonah to bring him to a point where he can see 
that his problem really comes down to bad theology. He understands the biblical teaching of Exodus 34, but he's allowing himself to think differently when it comes to certain groups of people. And so the Lord's moving in his life and allowing certain events to work their way out so that Jonah can come to see the error of his way. Well, what then does Jonah do? He goes out in verse 5 and sits down at a place on the east side of Nineveh, and he makes himself a little lean-to, a little hut, a little shelter. Uh, The purpose of the shelter is to get out from the heat of the sun. This part of the world, in the Middle East, in the summer especially, can be very, very hot. And so he makes himself a little shelter. He sat down in its shade, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, what do you think he's hoping is going to happen to the city? (laughs) What does Jonah hope will happen to the city of Nineveh? He makes himself a little comfortable, lean-to on the east side of the city, sits down in the shade of that structure, and now he's just going to wait and see what will happen to the city of Nineveh. And all the while, he's hoping what will happen. He's hoping that God will somehow initiate the process of destroying the city. So in verse uh, 8, the Lord messes a bit with his life, with Jonah's life. It says in verse 8, the Lord God provided a gourd and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Now, I mentioned uh, in one of the previous talks that in the uh, book of Jonah, this word, provided or appointed uh, is used four times and becomes kind of a literary thread that connects things together uh, in the book of Jonah. God prepares four things in the book of Jonah. The first one is the big fish. The Lord prepared a great fish back in chapter 2. Here in chapter 4, three other things get prepared. One is the gourd of verse 6. The next will be a worm in verse 7 and the Last will be a scorching east wind in verse 8. The same word is used to describe all four of these things that God appointed or provided. Now the gourd, we don't know exactly what kind of gourd this was. Uh, The Hebrew word that's used here, if you're interested in that kind of thing, is the word kikayon. And it occurs only five times in the Bible. Do you know where those five times are? They're all right here in this chapter of the book of Jonah. So this is the only place in the Bible we read about this particular gourd with the name Kikayon. And so we don't know too much about exactly what it was. Was it a castor oil plant? That's one suggestion. And there have been other suggestions as well. But it's some kind of rapidly growing gourd. And what happens in verse uh, verse, uh, is it eight, or pardon me, verse six, is because the gourd grows rapidly, it grew up over Jonah and gave shade over his head. Now he had his little lean-to, the hut that he had constructed. Now he has vegetation, uh, kind of like a brush arbor of some sort. 
And uh, so he has increased comfort here. The, the, he has shade to ease his discomfort. And what was Jonah's reaction to this? The provision that God gave with this gourd and the fact that it eased his discomfort. The end of verse 6 says Jonah was very happy about the gourd. Do you see the irony of this? He cannot get happy over the fact that the Ninevites have repented, believed in God, proclaimed a fast, and turned uh, to the Lord. That only makes him angry. Jonah was very angry (laughs) about that. But now there's some little creature comfort that comes along that improves his life a bit, gives him a bit of relief from the discomfort that otherwise he would experience. And what's his reaction to that? He's very happy about that. You know, folks, sometimes our horizon can get so small. We can find ourselves rejoicing greatly over what benefits us, what improves our way of life, what eases our discomfort. And the bigger needs of the world, the more important things of people dying in their sin and apart from Christ, this may have be of lesser concern to us. And so Jonah is a servant of God who at this point in his life is more interested in the creature comforts that he can collect around himself than he is about the outreach of the message that God has given to him to proclaim. And so here he is rejoicing over this uh, gourd that has improved his way of life a bit. Uh, But God is not through. God is in the process of teaching Jonah something here. And so in verse 7 it says, But at dawn the next day, God provided what? A worm. Same word used here. God provided a great fish. God provided a gourd, and now God provided a worm. And what did the worm do? It chewed the gourd so that it withered, and uh, now the creature comfort that Jonah enjoyed for a brief time is gone. And then in verse 8, when the sun arose, God provided, there's our word again, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Now, if you've been in the Middle East, you may know something about the east wind. Uh, It's sometimes called the Sirocco. And it blows in off of the desert. Uh, If you're in, let's say, Israel or some other place uh, along the Mediterranean coast there, Uh, the wind you want is a west wind. It comes in off the waters of the Mediterranean. And if it can can get across the mountains, it brings moisture with it. And so a a wind coming off the Mediterranean from the west uh, is a cooler wind, and it may also bring moisture with it, and so that's a very good thing. The east wind, on the other hand, is coming off the desert. And it's usually a hot wind, It brings uh, dust storms, and uh, it can cause a lot of discomfort. I can remember being in South Jerusalem one time, and I looked off 
to the east, and the, cloud, the, the sky was getting very dark. And at first I thought to myself, my goodness, it looks like it could rain. It's getting very dark. Do we have a rainstorm coming up? It was really a silly thought because it's off in the east. And what it was was a east wind that was collecting particles of dust and such in the air. It looked like it might hold promise of rain, but no, it was just a scorching wind that blew discomfort and uh, and that's the Sirocco, that's the east wind. Now, that wind can be very, very hot. Sometimes you have temperatures of 110 degrees and maybe 2% humidity. And that wind, when it blows, can cause a lot of difficulty. Uh, physicians tell us that the Sirocco affects levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters. It can cause exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and can affect behavior, sometimes leading to bizarre behavior, all because of the wind and, and the effect that it has on the human body. And, uh, and so it says that uh, God provided this scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head. He grew faint. Yes, that would be a normal uh, response to this type of a wind. And uh, Jonah now is sinking into depression. And what does it say at the end of verse uh, 8? He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Well, there's a sense in which that may be true. Perhaps you're recalling right now a comment that the great apostle Paul makes in Philippians 1.21. He says toward the end of his ministry, for me to live is Christ, and finish the sentence for me, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So the Apostle Paul articulates a sense in which, yes, it's better to die and be with the Lord. Uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain, he says. But that's not at all what Jonah means here. He's, uh, he's in a state of depression. He wants to die. It's better for me to die than to live. I think what he means is something like this. If I live, I may have to be around to see God do good things for the Ninevites. And I'm so opposed to that, I so reject that, that I just as soon die. In fact, I would rather die than to be around to see that happen. Now, isn't this a pathetic description? <laughs> Remember, we're talking about a servant of God who just cannot come to grips with the greatness and the enormity of God's mercy and forgiveness and thinks that he would rather die than see God do good things uh, on behalf of the likes of the Ninevites. They just don't deserve it. That's his thinking. Then in verses uh, 10 and following, we're going to have the Lord's response to Jonah's hard-heartedness. We've seen that throughout the book of Jonah, uh, what we have are a series of actions and then people's responses or the Lord's responses to them. So here in chapter 4, two major sections. One is how Jonah responds to the Lord's grace and forbearance, 
And now secondly, in verses 10 and 11, how the Lord responds to Jonah's hard-heartedness. Verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this gourd, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And surprisingly, the book of Jonah ends right there with a question that is asked but isn't really answered. God asks a question. Should I not have concern for the great city Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? Question mark. Well, what is the answer to the question? Is it yes or is it no? The answer is yes. Shouldn't I have concern for these folks and even for the animal life that is around the city of Nineveh, these many animals? The answer is yes. Did Jonah reach that answer? Did he come to a point where he agreed with what God was trying to tell him? The story ends without answering that part of the question. I hope he did. Presumably he did. God is working energetically in his life to bring him to the point of seeing this. And so we hope that there was a turnaround. But we're left with that question. Uh, should I not have concern? Now, uh, it looks like... Uh, even the animals, <laughs> even the animals in Nineveh are more responsive to God than Jonah is. I mean, even the animals participated in the fast back in chapter 3. Now, they didn't understand what they were doing. Their owners made them put on sackcloth and go without food and water and so forth. But there's a sense in which even the animals in Nineveh were more responsive to God than God's servant Jonah was. And uh, this is a great tragedy. We sometimes can lose sight of the bigger picture and forget what the main thing in life is all about, and that's serving God. The biggest thing you can do in your life is to find God's will for you and to fulfill that, whatever that might be. For every one of us in this room, it's something different. But there can be no greater joy in life than finding what it is God wants you to do with your life, your time, your talents, your resources, and then do that in a way that's faithful to the commission that God has given you. That's a wonderful thing. But we all have things that interfere with that. And there are things that get in the way of our doing that. And we find our outlook getting twisted and distorted from time to time. And we need to be reawakened to what it is God regards as most important in life. And to be sure that in our corner of the world, that's what we're trying to do. is what God wants us to do in the fulfillment of his uh, will. 
And so in chapter 4, there are a number of things that come to my mind as I think about what this story would mean for us tonight. What, how does it apply to us? What is the Word of God teaching us through the life of this person, Jonah? And a number of things uh, come to mind. Here's one. God's grace extended to others can lead to resentment, bitterness, and withdrawal on the part of his servants if they forget their own neediness. Now, this is what's happening with Jonah. In focusing on the unworthiness of the Ninevites, Jonah has forgotten what? He has forgotten.